Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's up everybody? I'm Alex. And my name is Nick and you're listening to The Thread presented by Ronnie Scotts in Hennessy on SohoRadioLondon.com. Without any further ado, without any without any babbling, please help me welcome to the show Eric Bibb. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Great to be back. Thank um, you for your time, in sir. Soho. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in the at the time of recording. We're uh, in the middle of your run, your residency at Ronnie Scott's. You did the first night last night. Um, what was it like? It was um, exhilarating for many reasons. First of all. Uh, I'd never played Ronnie Scott's London before. I'd done their uh, satellite gig up in Birmingham when they had that going. Yeah. Oh, wow. But that was some time ago. Uh, I think the only other time I'd been to Ronnie Scott's might have been to hear uh, George Benson and Earl Klug right. ages ago. Right. Uh, so this was a big, you know, kind of event for me anyway. And then I had the chance to invite a very special guest last night, which uh, brought a big gasp, <laughs> collective gasp to the audience when I introduced Van Morrison. You know, for a few tunes, uh, we um, we sang a couple of Lead Belly songs together, and Van did a couple of numbers from his new record, and uh, had a nice, you know, schmooze with him, uh, nice talk, and yeah, we're really um, kindreds. Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 I yeah. can tell that. Yeah, it was cool to really get to know him a bit, and um, yeah, I'd met him before, but this was the first time we really had a chance to yeah. really sit down and really talk. It was great. Did, did he reach out to you and say, you're going to be in town, I want to I want to come hang? Or was what happened was I did a gig with him not so long ago, a charity gig that Paul Jones uh, had organized. Um, and um, it was Van's suggestion that uh, we do some songs together on that charity gig. And it happened to be uh, his choice to do some, some songs uh, from Lead Belly's uh, repertoire, which was a kind of, you know, binding factor we we have similar roots mm-hmm. van and i mm. and um and then i just took a chance and i thought well you know i'm going to be back to do ronnie scott's and they wouldn't be uh, unhappy if i had a few guests uh, of his <laughs> stature <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh i i reached out to his people and they were amenable to it right away uh which was very very good news for me because it told me that he also felt that kind of uh, kindred thing going yeah. on. Mm. Well, I've heard that Van likes to do small rooms. He likes to mix it up. He likes to do arenas, yeah. but he also likes to dip in. And I loved how low-key it was in a way. Yeah. Even though we have this global, you know, one of our great artists uh, from this part of the world, mm. um, slipped on stage, as you say, did a couple of Lead Belly songs, yeah. did a couple of new, you allowed him to do a couple of uh, songs tunes. off his new album. Yeah. And, and then he slipped out. He and slipped it was, out. <laughs> it was and he great. told me, he t- when we had a, you know, a little sit-down before the gig uh, over a glass of wine he said you know really my my uh, background is is the kind of blues that that comes from smaller venues he said i'm not really an arena man actually they they don't really suit me and i, I got i got it you know he says i like to just close my eyes and get into the music i'm not really a, mm. uh, a front man in that classic entertainer you know hi folks i'm freddie yes. mercury you know it's mm. not yes. like that was his thing yeah. you know what so. what about you do you prefer to play big or small rooms do you have a preference i do yeah i really do prefer to be close to the audience and have the room be more like a living room than than uh, an arena small theaters are nice you know if the acoustics are good like old theaters but uh, the bigger gigs i feel um you know glastonbury i'll take but uh (laughs) but uh 
I, I prefer smaller rooms. Yeah, that's good. That it's it's funny. C- certain artists they hate seeing the whites of people's eyes right yes. there, you know. But other artists, that intimate yeah. thing. Oh no, it works for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I yeah. think it. I got that watching you play last night, mm-hmm. and um, I think your music suits. Yeah, uh, an intimate an audience. Intimate and I wanted to talk to you about lyrics because when I listen to your music, I find that you know it's. Although although the playing is 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 technical and it's great and everything for me when I listen to your, to the music the the lyrics really speak to me directly mm-hmm. and they're 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 literal, literal relatable and they're they're like right mm-hmm. there in front of me which I really appreciate cool um and as somebody who has like over twenty albums <laughs> um how how does how does one approach lyric writing is mm-hmm. it is it all the time is, uh, it's a kind of um, it's either a, on or it's really off and sometimes it's kind of me trying to force the issue i get uh impatient and want to write a good song that gives me that boost that um artistic uh wonderful kind of titillation that happens when a really good song comes through so i usually wait around for them these days i don't try to 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 make it happen like i used to do but sometimes i get impatient and i'll i have um three duds before the real thing comes through. You know, yeah. there'll be three songs that I will have uh, forced, you know, tried to push the river, and I realize, hopefully not more than 24 hours later, that it's not really a song. It's just an exercise in songwriting. Yeah. It's just my eagerness to get into that flow again. And then a real song will come along, and I'll very clearly once again know the difference between an exercise in songwriting and a real song. And mm-hmm. it has to do with... Um, it has to do with the kernel of inspiration. You really need to write from an inspired place. You just cannot say, I want to write a good song and just command that the muse cooperate. It doesn't really work like that. <laughs> uh-huh. you know? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, really, that's, really, uh, that's really inspiring. But I, I do appreciate, just I have to say it again, I do appreciate that when I, when I listen to your songs, I feel like whether I'm right or wrong, I feel like I know what you're talking. I feel mm-hmm. I feel like the message is coming into my ears and into my head and into my nice soul. To I, hear. I know it's I know what you're talking about. Whereas, like a lot of times, mm-hmm. some of the best lyricists, um, people that praise as lyricists, mm-hmm. uh, you have to. There's a lot of metaphors, and you have to yes. figure out what's going on. And that's not my style. Ta- no, you're, it's right on the nose. And I love yeah, that. yeah. I, I admire uh, those kind of writers. I just realized fairly early on that I was not that kind of writer. Uh, I read a lot, you know, and uh, all of that uh, literary references uh, can make their way in. But basically, I'm not trying to let the world know that I'm a clever lyricist. That's never been my drive. I really feel like uh, my strong side when it comes to songwriting has to do with delivering a message that comes at least in part from real experience and something that's both personal and universal and uplifting because there's enough dark matter out there you know mm. uh it's become my kind of brand to to write songs that you know make people feel good ultimately mm. even if um i can write a song that's uh, uh dark in terms of uh making a historical reference to some some chapters in american history particularly that are uh that are morbid and 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 gruesome and cruel and all of that but the end of the day i'm wanting to make people aware of something that i feel will help them understand society or the problems in society better i'm that's that's my gig you know Mm, yeah And speaking of uh, society, you you based in Sweden now. You live in Sweden yeah, for, I, for a number of years. Yes, very many years. I've actually um, 
spent, I've counted the years, I've spent most of my adult life in Scandinavia and mostly Sweden. And, um, and you love it? I do. I love it enough to be there um, full time. I, and I think of it as my home these days, even though I'm born and raised in New York and I love New York and I dip into that great city every once in a while, you know, a few times every year. But um, something about uh, the way Sweden impacted me when I first moved there as a, as a young guy, uh, some kind of optimistic ambiance that still lingers, even though they've got serious problems. But um, I like the nature there. I like the space. Yes. You know, coming from yeah. a city that has as many inhabitants as all of Sweden, you know, it's yeah, nice yeah. to have elbow room. You yeah. Know? I lived in Stockholm as a child. Ah. And uh, I'm always curious about people's. I know Georgie Fame lives out in, in Sweden as well. Okay. Always, I didn't know he did. Always compare yeah. notes about um, out the experience there. There's, mm. there's such open people mm-hmm. and incredible musicians as oh, well. Oh, man. I remember no that. About the that. Stockholm Jazz Orchestra, one of the best. Yeah. Oh, there are players from all genres in Sweden that uh, need to be uh, more. Uh, um, Known, yes, because they're really a very talented bunch of and and the folks. Swedes the Swedes dig your music. I saw you did a, yeah. a tour back in February. Was yeah, it? yeah, I've been around. You know, it's a little bit like um, uh, hard to be a, a hero in your own neighborhood uh, because I've been around Sweden for so long. So um, uh, I think people think they they know who I am, and they're not really aware of um, what I've done in the interim since I first moved there. You know, I've seen the world and played all over the place. But um, I'm coming back for like a second wave of recognition in, in Sweden, which also feels really good, you know. <laughs> Why did you leave New York? Uh, you know, I grew up uh, in a time when there was so much uh, positive activism and coming together of people. You know, I'm a child of the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. the anti-war movement. My parents were very involved in the civil rights movement. Um, Growing up in New York around the Greenwich Village scene, I was around progressive people all of my life. And when the civil rights movement basically dissolved into uh, acrimonious uh, tensions between people who were once working together, I'm talking about people who came together under the aegis of a guy like Martin Luther King, when uh, militancy began to really... um, replace that feeling that we could actually accomplish something together. And there started to be a lot of bitterness and anger. Um, I had a real hard time with that because it was against my um, my grain. And um, I was um, saddened by, by the dissolution of what I thought was uh, the possibility of a, a movement really making some kind of serious change. Mm. And... Um, Everybody thought. We thought we were going to change the world, you know. And um, when it didn't happen and it started to splinter off into all kinds of uh, other things going on, um, I just thought I I need to experience something different, you know. Mm. I'd been to Europe as a a teenager, a young teenager with my parents, so I was familiar with that side of the world and thought, yeah, I need that perspective. I need to see myself as an African-American but outside of America, I want mm. to see what mm-hmm. people think of me, mm. you know. Yeah. And where was uh, Paris was the first stop, was it? It certainly was. Which is quite a regular... Yes, sort of yeah. it's the highway. Baldwin, Baldwin, <laughs> Baldwin yeah, yeah. there as well, yeah. didn't he? So many. So yeah. many. And I, I met Baldwin in Paris, actually. No, you through, didn't. Through, through, yes, Amazing. Through, through, wow. through uh, mutual friends. And 
I also met a man named Mickey Baker, a great guitar player, who um, played with uh, Billie Holiday, Ray Charles, a great jazz and blues guitar player, also known for his work with Mickey and Sylvia, that that, uh, pop duo that had that uh, big hit with Love is Strange. And they, yeah. So Mickey had emigrated to... um, uh, to Paris. He was also actually from my dad's hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. And um, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to Mickey, who kind of took me under his wing for a while and uh, just made me feel really um, valuable, you know, as a musician. He he really gave me some some really encouraging uh, wow. words and, and, yeah, kind of propped me up when I was needing it. <laughs> Shall we... Um Thank you for that. It's really, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, shall we play a tune Let's from your new record? Let's play a track from, from Global Grio, yeah. Love How it. about we do um, What's He Gonna Say Today? Oh, you're going there. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a joke Sad enough to make you cry You got a president oppressing the nation That was What's He Gonna Say Today off of Global Griot. Do you want to talk about what, what Griot is? Yes. The and why you chose Griot. it for the album. Yeah, yeah. Griot, I, I believe the, the word is more uh, common in the French uh, language. It sounds French to me. And it refers to um, basically a cast of... Uh, Oral historian slash musicians, storytellers um, uh, who come from uh, West Africa, the Mandinka culture primarily. Um, these are musicians who keep the genealogy and the oral history of the, 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 the people in music, in song, in poetry, and as opposed to our written history, there are people my griot friends who really know the history of their people for like you know generations and generations and generations and that's all passed down from father to son or father to daughter nowadays there are women mm-hmm. griots as well and um I, there's a story about a gambian um griot who uh, an american was interviewing and they were talking about um the whole connection of uh Americans being originally Africans, some of them. And uh, it took the guy, I don't know how many hours, to get back to Kunta Kinta, you know, mm. the, the the guy who was the, mm. the central figure in Roots. And he, he knew everything that had happened from the present time back to th- that moment. Um, um, it's amazing that people can keep that going, but I think if you repeat something, uh, and, and in song especially... Um, and it's passed on from father to son, from generation to generation. It's beyond our concept because we write things down. We don't keep it all mm-hmm. in our heads and our mm-hmm. hearts. But fascinating. And um, so Agrio is, um, as I said, a storyteller and a keeper of the flame, an oral historian. And I think of myself, um, as well as my West African friends, as uh, a storyteller who's interested in uh, telling and retelling uh the collective story, you know, and making people aware of where they come from um, and spreading uh, a feeling of, of hope, especially in times yeah. like these, you yeah. know. Yeah. That's the overarching feel you get from uh, from Global Griot is that, the, the, like you say, 
message of hope, harmony, peace, mm. you know, which is so important. We need to hear that in these challenging times. We certainly do. We certainly do. And that song that you played, What's He Going to Say Today? You know, that's kind of the antithesis. That energy from that, that place is divisive. And uh, I needed to basically make that statement. That's not a song that I, I perform live because my mission is not to be, uh, as it were, provocative or divisive or insightful. I uh, really want to bring people together. But it is a song that I really felt I compelled to, to write. I just had to mm. make a statement about what I saw going on in my country. And, um, yeah, I lost a few fans behind that, too. But I probably yeah. gained some, too. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so with, with the catalog that you have, you talk about, I don't play that one live. How do, how do you construct your show? And the, the guys mm. you're touring with on, on this tour... Uh, we know Paul, Paul Robinson, yeah, because uh, he's been playing Ronnie's for years, and yeah, he's 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 close with us. Great guy, great drummer. I mean, uh, is how long have you been with these people on tour with you now? Some years now. Uh, I forget. Uh, I think it might have been um, who introduced me to Paul. Maybe it was Neville, who you also know. Lovely guy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, a giant, you know, of a, of a human being. Um, might have been my producer friend Glenn Scott who introduced me to Neville Malcolm. Uh, who in turn introduced me to Paul, I believe. Uh, we've been going for mm, some years now, and I feel like I finally, together with Stefan, my guitar-playing friend from, from Stockholm, yes. have a unit that really um, can go the distance, you know, and um, maybe someday we'll be able to add some other musicians. We've toured with some wonderful singers. There's a couple of percussionists that I'd love to work with. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know Anselmo Neto, Anselmo is a wonderful Brazilian musician who's right. based here in London. Right. A uh, uh, wonderful percussionist as well as a right. mandolin player. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we we dream big, but this unit is, is the core of, uh, of what I think is going to be a wonderful journey. And we have to talk about as well, um, sadly missing at the moment, uh, is it Solo Sissoko? Solo, Solo Sissoko. Mentioning uh, uh, Senegal and, and uh, that wonderful musical culture, uh, Solo Sissoko is the core player featured on Global Griot mm, okay. on quite a few tracks and um, he uh, comes from Casamance uh, that's a part of Senegal that's very close to Gambia and also Guinea mm -hmm. and a brilliant musician who unfortunately took ill and was not able to, to, to join us on these gigs um, sadly but um, we just wish him well and I hope uh, he'll be back with us soon but um, to be able to, to tour with him, uh, as I've done to a degree, has been really incredibly rewarding. People love the Chora. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's an amazing. And people who are Incredible not familiar with it are, yeah. just, are just blown away. And he's charming and he's a master player. And so had some gigs in France. Yeah, recently. It seems like this record and, and the record before there's there's the, the heavy West African influence. Mm -hmm. um, are you are you the type of artist that already you already know what's going to ha be happening in the next record and you're already planning mm -hmm. it and writing it on the tour bus and all that? Or is it yeah. when this yeah, yeah you, all you, the above all the above? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Are you are you allowed to say anything? Yeah, I'm I'm going to say something. Um, you know, I uh, have been eclectic throughout my career in terms of uh, blending different musical styles that I feel are compatible. And it's been hard to peg me. I, I'm known as a kind of bluesy guy, a bluesy troubadour, because uh, those are my roots, uh, part of them, a big part of my roots is American uh, blues music and gospel music. But um, my curiosity has always been uh, a factor in the way I 
you know, decide mm-hmm. to, to record and what I decide to do. But I've decided that I need to really claim my blues turf on a specific album and not really reach too far afield from that base. So I'm probably going to return to New York to um, uh, uh, produce a record that I, I feel will be a kind of a full circle for me. It'll be um, an exposition of my love of the blues primarily, and it'll be on home turf, and it'll be really quite stripped down. Cool. I want to feature my guitar playing um, and singing in a, a rhythmic uh, context, you know, with a bass, uh, a good rhythm section, maybe some known people. Mm-hmm. Um, be exciting to really be able to to do I that. Look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Well, yeah. speaking of which, let's let's hear some more music. Um, I would like to choose a track uh, with a subject that we haven't spoken about. Uh, gladly, where's the money at? <laughs> let's hear that one. We were asking ourselves the same question. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the money at? Mm-hmm. Tell us about how that song came about. Well, the first instrument that you hear on that track, as well as the last uh, fading seconds you hear, also the same instrument, it's, uh, it's a disinguni from West Africa. It's a great um, kind of hunter's harp instrument. Um, I think the Wolof people are, are basically, that's uh, their tribal instrument for a, uh, a hunting tradition. And... Um, it's played by a Swede, oh. <laughs> and his name is Christer Botin. Christer is a wonderful musician, jazz musician, who I've known for decades or known of and got to, to touch base with through my years in Sweden. But he traveled to West Africa and lived um, with this hunter tribe in Mali for some months. This is a funny choice for a guy from Stockholm, you know, yeah. jazz musician. I'm, like, I'm going to go. And, um, and they took him, you know, under their wing and... and he traveled and, you know, learned their music um, and came home with uh, uh, a lot of inspiration and some wonderful instruments. And um, I just decided that I wanted to have uh, traditional instruments as well as, you know, uh, modern instruments on this record. So I, I went to him and basically uh, he sent me snippets of, of his instruments playing, you know, and I just thought, wow. We may not be able to get everybody together at once, but I have these wonderful recordings, and uh, I'm going to see how we can incorporate them. And then my masterful producer just did the rest, and he's a genius at uh, at combining things, and he's also a technical wizard. So uh, that became the intro and the outro to this tune. The, uh, the track is, I'm playing some guitar as well as singing, of course, but um, basically the track was put together by Glenn Scott, and a wonderful musician, uh, Kwame from uh, from Ghana, who plays guitar and drums on that track. And then um, Glenn said to me, we need horns on this, and I think they should really be in the zone from this type of style of music. So Kwame sent off the files to, to Accra, and uh, we came back, you know, <laughs> and I said, wow, man, this, this just sounds like uh, Fela Ramson Kuti, mm, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great flavor. And... Um, 
There's wonderful things that you can do if you know who to call, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that came together. So we have Swedes and we have, you know, Ghanaians and we have Jamaicans. And we have oh, on that great. track. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So uh, let's pass the mic. Uh, Ismail, the, our man at Ronnie Scott's for the week, he's sitting next to me. Did you have any questions for the, for the man? Well, then I'll ask you some questions. Um, <laughs> what made you decide to to do a uh, an internship at Ronnie Scott's? Um, I wanted to do something different mm -hmm. because I do photography. I, I see. Right. He took some great ones of you last night. Bro. Oh, I can't wait to see him. <laughs> we have to hook up. Yes, bro. We'll find a way during the week. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, Wonderful. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, you're joining a, a huge tradition of uh, photographers who have been fascinated by jazz musicians yeah. for uh, almost a hundred years. So uh, I, I'm happy to. Uh, to see that you have found um, a place where you can combine that interest, you know, in photography with fascinating subjects, because jazz a, musicians will will give you something to shoot. Yeah, it's a very rich and fulfilling life as well. Our house photographers are some of the happiest guys. Yeah, you know, because they get mm, right. to indulge in their passion. You know, it's the, the variety is in the friendships that they mm. make, and that you know, you always have a different subject to shoot. And mm -hmm. yeah, stick with it, Ishmael. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I understand that David Sinclair passed away. Yeah, it was very sad. Our, yeah. our late house photographer sadly passed away last week. Um, shouts to David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he he used to photo in the club. Yes, uh, back in David. back in the eighties, yes. and, and regularly since the nineties, he was he was the main guy. Rest in peace, um, Mister Sinclair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, I always remember his man. one of Sonny Rollins with with uh -huh. the most incredible lighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, with on the jazz connection. Um, I, I read that your your uncle was uh, John was in the MJQ. Yeah. Yeah. I just wondered. I'm, I'm curious if that was an influence Certainly. on you growing up. Certainly, in many ways, um, musically, John was um, uh, so accomplished in so many ways as a composer, as a pianist. He always, always thought of himself as more of a composer, but he was obviously a, a, a wonderful pianist who'd played with you know everybody from Miles to Dizzy to Bird and. Uh, and then his own quartet that he formed with Milt Jackson. But uh, my mom's brother, John Lewis, uh, was somebody who I was aware of as basically somebody to look up to and emulate from a very early age. And, um, you know, I would get postcards and little gifts from all over the world from John growing up. And uh, he basically just told me, this is how far you can go with music. You know, you can really uh, become a, a man of the world through music, and his lifestyle uh, illustrated that in a beautiful way. Um, so because of uh, his colleagues and the music that my parents uh, listened to at home, you know, people uh, who John knew, uh, jazz was also a big part of my, my listening diet. It was never a music that personally uh, attracted me in terms of wanting to play it, although I had great periods of wonderful, you know, uh, uh, wonderful periods of listening to people who uh, really touched me. I had a big Coltrane period like mm. everybody. I had a big Pharoah Saunders period. Mm. But um, 
I knew a lot of great musicians in New York. Um, My dad hired me to be the um, guitar player in his uh, television house orchestra. I was 16 and way over my head, you know. I I could play, I could read a chart, but I was really a a real rube, uh, (laughs) a real amateur. And, you know, the people who were in the band at times, Ron Carter was the bass player Uh. at times. Uh, Selden Powell, the sax player, was in the band. You know, I I knew great musicians, you know, and rubbed shoulders with them. I'd be sweating. So I was definitely sweating. (laughs) But my dad threw me in at the deep end and just wanted to see what would happen. Oh, that's great. But it's it's great uh, for, for young musicians to be able to have fairly close contact with their heroes. I think that's the best way to to inspire, you know. Uh, just yeah, see how they see how they move, see how they yeah. eat. There's a great tradition of that in jazz, isn't there? It, yeah. it must be the same in blues. Yeah, I think uh, maybe more. I think the jazz community has been uh, ahead when it comes to education. There's there's definitely wonderful opportunities for young people to explore this music as uh, as young players. Uh, so many jazz musicians have also been great teachers. Partly because economically that was a way to make ends meet, you know, between yes. gigs you teach. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I think of all kinds of people who were uh, ahead when it came to, 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 to teaching like that. But, mm. um, Art Blakey. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, all yeah. The, the whole Blakey was a, a masterful teacher. And just by being who he was, the band leader he was. But there are so many. Youssef Latif was mm. also a great mm-hmm. teacher. Uh, my uncle was a, a, a teacher who taught at... Um, Manhattan School of Music in NYU and um, and at Lincoln Center. He had a close relationship with Winton uh, at the end of his life. Um, Winton just kind of adored my uncle. Right. And, yeah, they did wonderful so, things, yeah. Are there any young musicians in the blues world that or the folk world that you're looking at now thinking, I can't wait to hear what's next out of them? Yeah, there's a couple of exciting people who are uh, in my midst somehow, um, Gary Clark's a fine, fine oh, musician. Yeah, yeah, we can and, um, trans, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's happening. He's really happening. He's got that edgy, um, raw sound that's connected to the, the blues, that, the electrified blues that really <laughs> touches mm. me from the, the mm. early days of, of that kind of music, the 50s. But like um, you, he's very varied. I mean, we played a Gary yes, Clark tu- yes. uh, tune earlier. It's, it's soul. It's got the Marvin yes. Gaye falsetto. Yes, exactly. You know, he, he really brings in a broad range of influences with his blues. I'm glad <laughs> that he uh, has claimed his eclecticism early in his career. It's important because uh, blues can be pretty um, restricting. Boxy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as, you know, as you know. And for a young player like him who loves it and knows that music, but who also has heard, like me, you know, we're products of uh, radio culture. We heard Motown and Stax. We heard the Beatles. We heard it all. Mm. And there's no way, unless you consciously decide that you don't want to be influenced, there's no way that through osmosis those influences don't come out in your music. And if you're in a uh, a particular uh, marketing scheme that doesn't allow that kind of freedom, basically you're just repeating what happened way back in the day when the first um, blues records were starting to be made those musicians were also eclectic people who could play Tin Pan Alley tunes of the day, polkas. They played what people wanted to hear because they had to make a living doing this. But um, the people who were putting out the race records, as it were, were saying, hey, man, we don't want that. We don't want those gospel tunes in there. We don't want those uh, your version of um, 
on your way to Tipperary. We we just want to hear some gut <laughs> bucket blues, which was a mm. shame because I would have loved to have heard some of those blues guys, their take on the other music that they were obviously uh, uh, able to play. So it's time to break out of blues prison. Uh, you yeah, know, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. And sorry, I cut you mm. off there. We, no, we were saying Gary Clark was there. Was, was yes. there someone else that was coming to mind? Uh, Eric Gales is exciting. He's oh, a guitar great. player. Yeah. He's going to be on this blues yeah. cruise that I'm going to be doing uh, in he's, August, the yes. Bonamassa tour. Uh, he's exciting. Um, uh, my friend Michael Jerome Brown is a, is a yes. wonderful, wonderful acoustic blues uh, guitarist as well as did a fantastic opening set. He did. Got, he got value his, for money last oh, night. He had we? a great set. <laughs> I thought. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's there's so many players I could get yeah. started on on that, but um, there's a wonderful. Um, uh, finger-picking uh, guitarist. Her name is Mary Flowers. Mm. Uh, do you know Mary? Did she do an, an NPR? Or yes, yes, probably, yes. Wonderful player. Wow, Under yeah. the radar, mm. but great, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We've got someone for you, hopefully, tomorrow that you d- that you don't know, or maybe you do. Martin Harley is going to open up for you tomorrow night. I don't I'm a big know fan of his. Uh-huh. He's a slide guitar player. Okay. I, think, mm-hmm. I think you saw him, didn't you, Alex, yeah, when yes. we had him down. Uh, but mm-hmm. a, gr- a great talent from this country, so great. hopefully you'll approve, Eric. <laughs> oh, I've met so many great guitar players from here. I had a chance to record once with um, Robbie. Yes. Uh, uh, Macintosh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Great, 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 great player. You yeah. know, We've got um, some great guys oh, coming absolutely. up, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, should we should we play? Um, there's there's a guy that I've discovered last year who I know he's been around for a little while, but I think he's only in his mid twenties. Let's play a Marcus King track and then yeah. come back and and sure. we got about ten minutes after that. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is a uh, this is Rita's Gone by Marcus King. Mm, I don't know him. Uh, Marcus King Bang. Yeah, the Marcus King Bang. That was Rita's Gone. We don't have too much time. What should we? What we should, how should we finish this up? Well, next? let's let's talk about a few things that are going on. Uh, you're nominated. Uh, delighted to see you nominated Blues Act of the Year at the Jazz FM's. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be there? Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. All I'm right. Going to be there. I'm Look forward to there. sharing a drink. Yeah. Yeah, I got nominated. Thank you for Good that. Good question, Ishmael. Uh, I I got nominated for another. Uh, Blues Foundation Award in Memphis, I think for Global Griot. Um, I've I've been to Memphis several times for those awards and won a few, and it's it's always exciting because there's so many of your contemporaries who you can kind of just uh, schmooze with. But um, yeah, a few years ago, it was cool to be nominated for a Grammy, you know, in the states for for Migration Blues. Uh, I got to say this here on Soho Radio. Twice I've been nominated in the same category as the Rolling Stones, and twice they won. <laughs> and, <laughs> but they haven't been uh, nominated for uh, a Jazz FM award this year. Uh, oh, so I think my chances might be pretty <laughs> the good. The Stones' jinx is off your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish him well. I hear uh, Keith has a new record out. Have you heard it? No, actually. Uh, I, think no. So. I think so. I think ah. I saw a, a poster for a new record. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know they had to cancel. They were going to headline the New yeah. Orleans makes, Jazz. Makes not yeah. well as a heart operation. Yeah, but the Depp yeah. band was Led Zeppelin, which who haven't done a gig since the early 2000s yeah. or something, which is crazy. Led Zeppelin. Zepp have, have stepped into the headline slot in New Orleans. 
Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. After Fleetwood, they've reformed. Do it because we heard something about. Fleetwood oh, was Fleetwood going to do it? Oh, that's an exclusive. And you might have to edit that. Out. I don't. Know. <laughs> but, uh, but really, Led Zeppelin. The Led Zeppelin have reformed. And it's funny, we didn't believe it because the news story came out on April the 1st. So we're like, oh, okay, April right, Fool's, right. you know. But actually, you know, it's there's true. been stuff since. And, okay. and Robert Plant uh, and, and Jimmy and, and John Paul Jones, they got to, got back together because it's the 50th anniversary of New Orleans Jazz Festival. Wow. Jazz and Heritage Festival. And it's the 50th of the Rolling Stones and they wanted to help their buddies out. So oh, wow. Getting, getting back together for that. Wow. So that'll be pretty special. Yeah, so uh, back to the, the Jazz FM. So you're going to be at the Jazz FM's. You're at Ronnie's all this week, uh, which is sold out. So beg, borrow, steal a ticket. Don't know what you're going to do if you're listening to this and you want to come. Beg or borrow first, and then if it comes down to it, do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, really, uh, it's, uh, I'm really chuffed that uh, we were able to... Uh, to do this I residency. can't believe it's taken so long. Shouts to Heather, your manager, who's oh, in the room right now. Oh, uh, she's a shaker and a mover. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. She moves mountains. Yeah, yeah. It should great. have happened way sooner, but hopefully this is the start of, uh, of, of a, a few return visits. Oh, what, what are I you doing? Second that emotion. Yeah. What are you doing uh, after you finish the Ronnie's run? You back to Sweden? I'm back to Sweden. I got a gig in Norway, and then I'm actually off to Australia in the beginning of May. Cool. Yeah, after the Jazz Awards, I'm off to Australia. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. you're going to record in New York, and then you're going to write this book that I'm going to read, right? You, you, the Ooh, books. You, 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 it's got to be a book, huh? Well, I got a friend who's uh, definitely on board with uh, with telling that story with me, and I'm very oh, happy about writer. that. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a wonderful writer who I met through. Uh, he used to write for No Depression, that that uh, nice music magazine that's since become an online. Uh, publication but um also we've got a film project in the making okay um you know as i've been made aware by people in the know you know people watch more than they listen these days mm-hmm. and the visual thing is a really huge uh, factor in being able to share and, and spread music so uh i'm i'm excited about uh that project as well. Interesting. That's something mm. we haven't even touched on is like the changing face of the music mm. because you must have been through, mm. you know, the ringer. I don't even want to know like, yes. you know, the stories, you know, the, the, the negative record label stories yes. I'm sure yeah. that you've had. Yes. But is that something you try and keep on top of or do you try not to pay attention and just Well, I have stick enough people craft? around me who Whatever need to pay, pay attention yeah. to it and, and are able to force me force feed me some info that i really need to <laughs> to have you know on board uh, i'm a little resistant i, I am i got to tell you that i'm a kind yeah. of old school analog type of guy uh, in at nature the tech sure. thing is not really my my thing and there's a many alarming things about this whole thing but there are also for example being able to send a track to, to Ghana and get yeah. it back 24 like, hours yeah, later like, with some beautiful yeah. horns. Mm-hmm. I won't say no to that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> well, we didn't. There's so much we didn't touch on, but we touched on a lot. So th- thank you, um, thank you for being here. Wonderful questions. Um, this has been the 66th show of, of Ronnie Scott's presented by 66 The Thread. Presented by Ronnie Scott's and Hennessy on Soho Radio. There we go. With Tongue Nick Twister. and Alex. Thank you, Ishmael. Eric, thank you, thank you, Ishmael. A pleasure. Um, what, what should we let's let's finish on track? Eric's track? I think we should finish on "We Don't Care," mm-hmm. a, uh, cool. an omen for our times in these Brexit negotiations. <laughs> yeah, this is a song I wrote with Habib Kwate for the album that we made in Bamako, and uh, we revisited it. And I'm really happy with the way this came out. Yeah, thanks Great. for coming on. See you next time.
We love to fly first class. Someone else pays the ticket. We love our juicy fruit. Long as we don't have to pick it. We love our fast food. Don't care about heart attack.